Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Business Writers Radio. Brought to you by Business Writers Exchange. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Business Writers Radio. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor here with you. How are you this afternoon, man? I am doing great. You know how much I love this show. I learned so much from the authors we have on. This is going to be a fantastic segment. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast author of the Ten Commandments of Winning Teammates, Mr. Sean Glaze. How are you, man? I am terrific, Stone. Thanks so much for having me. Look forward to sharing a little bit with your audience. Now, uh, can you share a little bit about your work? I know you're the author of that book, but do you have a consultancy as well? Actually, do, Lee. I uh, have, for just over a decade, been working with all kinds of groups, specifically corporate organizations, for team-building events, workshops, and conference keynotes. Uh, My background is actually as a high school basketball coach, as a matter of fact, and it was taking those lessons from the locker room and recognizing they had a pretty powerful application in the conference room and the boardroom and how you could take those team leadership lessons and how to be a winning teammate and make those organizations uh, in the corporate world a lot more successful because of those relationships improving. So what was that transition like going from basketball coach and in like a public education environment? It was, yeah, high school. High school basketball coach out into the corporate world. I mean, that had to be some culture shock. An interesting transition. (laughs) And, uh, you know, sometimes even with the teaching stone, it was uh, didn't expect to be behind a desk in front of 30 kids, you know, seven periods a day. But sometimes Providence puts you where you're supposed to be and uh, fell into the position and for over 20 years had a tremendous time teaching high school literature and coaching high school basketball. And it was uh, probably about 15 years into teaching, I started looking around for somebody to help our kids and knew that we were missing something, didn't know what team building was, but thought we'd give that a try and reached out to a guy. And he said, well, Sean, you can't afford me. Now don't work with kids. (laughs) But I would be more than happy to let you come and observe me. And he really became a mentor of sorts. And that led to me working with my team and some other high school programs. And that then expanded to some university athletic programs and then some school faculties. And uh, then when I started to put together a website and realized, hey, this is some stuff that has some pretty powerful applications, certainly beyond athletics. I knew that there were a number of team bonding companies out there that, uh, hey, let's go play pool or let's do paintball. Or let's have, have a fun afternoon together. But I thought that team building needed to be far more relevant and applicable and powerful and memorable than just a few hours of fun. So what I hopefully do during the workshop events that I facilitate is give them not just a few hours of ha-has, but some really powerful and applicable ahas that follow that they can actually apply. So with these 10 commandments, I'm looking at them on the back of your book right now, and I'd like to talk about several, but the one that really just jumps off the page for me is the last one, number 10, Claim personal responsibility for results. Can can you speak to that some? I would be glad to speak to that. The book itself, Stone, actually came about because the first major book I did, I guess, working with corporate groups was Rapid Teamwork, and that was how do you take a group to turn them into a team? The winning teammates was realizing that every organization, it's not necessarily the leader who needs to do the work, but it's those people on the front line, those middle managers, the people in every tier of the organization that have an impact on those around them. And so all of us here have had a bad teammate. And whether that's, 
you know, somewhere at the family reunion, whether that's <laughs> in the athletic quarter field, whether that's in business, you can think of those bad teammates that you've experienced. And, uh, and those bad teammates have ripples and they influence others. And one of the things that you also recognize is the converse is true as well, that you've had great teammates. And really the book was born of, you know, what are those things that make somebody a great teammate and, and have those behaviors and those values uh, and just those personality traits that I want to emulate? Because if they make me feel better, if they make me want to come in to work and work harder and they make me enjoy my day that much more, you know, if I emulated that, how much better could our organization, our organization be? Uh, so the idea of the winning teammates, I think uh, it's the number 10 commandment, but I really think that it becomes number one in terms of if I don't take responsibility for the team results, if I don't claim responsibility for the results, then I'm always going to be pointing my finger somewhere else. And one of the things that I share briefly in the book and that certainly is part of the events that I facilitate and talk at is if I'm pointing my finger at Lee and saying that what's wrong with us and what's wrong with me is what he's doing, then my circumstances and our circumstances as a team won't change until Lee does. So I'm ultimately making myself a victim because I'm waiting on him to make a change instead of claiming responsibility for what I do control. And the more that we as leaders, the more that we as teammates will point the finger at ourselves and realize there is a bucket load that I control in terms of not just attitude, but certainly the behavior that follows. Uh, I think that it's that personal accountability that leads to team success. Now, are great teammates born or can they be made? I think much like leaders, teammates are absolutely made. I think that you are placed in circumstances where oftentimes people will try and convince themselves it's not my job to lead. It's not my job to be a great teammate. It's not me. I don't necessarily have that impact. And in life, I think that you, you, you've had the same experience that you either nothing's important or everything's important. And I would subscribe to the second. I think that everything we do has ripples. And as a leader, as a teammate, I can lead for any position on the court. I always wanted my players to understand their job was to do more than just their job. They were leaders on the court as basketball players. I wanted to make sure we had 12 coaches who were encouraging and giving reminders to and taking ownership of our results. Just like in any business, you want to make sure that you don't have employees who just punch a clock and don't have ownership. You want to have teammates who own the results. And now you're out speaking, consulting, coaching. Tell us a little bit more about the, the work itself. Absolutely. Well, the team building actually morphed a few years ago from being a facilitator where you're really giving people a chance to enjoy and experience um, an activity and laugh together and then ask questions as a debrief to draw out their insights and make them applicable. The difference between a facilitator and a speaker, obviously, as a speaker on the stage, you're sharing some of those things rather than drawing them out through debriefing discussions. Now, so, where did the book come into this? Was that early on in the process or how, how did you leverage a book into your work? Well, I think anybody that writes a book, you normally have a message inside you that you know you want to make sure that you share with that audience that you've mm -hmm. already interacted with. And I think that experience is sometimes that filter through which we see more clearly what the group we serve most needs to hear. And, uh, and that was, again, one of the messages that um, not just in the athletic realm, but far more significantly in the corporate realm, how can you be a better teammate is one of the things that was a through line of most all of those debriefing conversations that we had. It was all about improving personal awareness and recognizing that what I do 
necessarily impacts others. And the quality of my life is determined by the quality of the experiences and the relationships that I have at my workplace, wherever that might be. And But so when did you go, I, you know, I got to write a book and this is going to help me kind of articulate this and educate my marketplace and it'll help the people that are listening to me speak. Yeah. Well, if, uh, if the question is, you know, how did the book you come to fruition? The, the Right. Well, like once you decided, you know, I'm a high school basketball coach, but I want to get into this side of the business. I have to have a book. Like, was that part of the thinking from a marketing perspective or was that something that you had to write this book and then you built the consultancy around the book idea? I've actually been speaking for a few years leading into the writing of the book. And the book is really kind of something that was born of one of the main messages in my keynote, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what winning teammates do differently. And there's a huge difference between that bad teammate and the impact they have upon an organization versus the winning teammate and what happens when that starts to multiply. Uh, and so really the the book followed many of the messages that I'd shared previously and that were really born of a lot of the facilitated discussions in the workshops. But why was it important to you to write a book? Like you could have just kept speaking on that topic. I think my background as a literature teacher probably had a little bit to do with that. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm very much familiar with and, and appreciate the written word. Part of it was the challenge of doing a better job than the previous books that I'd written. You always want to get better and share mm-hmm. something a little bit more applicable. Uh, but the idea of, of the story itself is I wanted to make sure that whether it was the team building events or the keynotes, that those audiences had something tangible to take away that were going to be a memorable reminder of a lot of the things that we would have a chance to talk about that, again, become stickier because they can read this parable that's a story that encapsulates a lot of the lessons that we would introduce in the events. Now, yeah, what influenced that choice to write it as a parable? Because that's only one choice of a way to write a business book. Why, why'd you do it that way? Probably because I really enjoy a challenge, Stone. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I've talked to way too many people who said, Sean, why would you try and do it as a parable? It's far easier just to do a straight nonfiction. Well, edit. it does look like a lot of work because you, you, have, you have to write dialogue and put mm. things in quotes. And, yeah. and, and so a lot of that is in terms of the back end, you create the story. And the story needs necessarily incorporate all these points that you had originally planned. Right. You to include to in your nonfiction into a story that has an arc and, you know. So you've really got kind of two outlines right. going at the same time. But I think that uh, personalities, again, you get to know yourself a little better. And I enjoy that challenge of, and I wanted to make it as entertaining as possible. And I think that's my job as a facilitator, as a speaker, as people aren't looking necessarily only for content. They want to be entertained. They want to have a great time sure. and have content with that entertainment. And I think with a book, it's the same way. Sometimes it's easy to get bogged down with a straight nonfiction, drier read. And this gives them a chance to experience a story and let the story be the, the vehicle for sharing some pretty powerful lessons. So did anybody in your life, like maybe a former player come to you and say, hey, coach, am I Nick? <laughs> <laughs> They haven't, haven't, but I'll tell you, it's funny because in my talk, I've shared stories. You always change the names to protect the innocent. (laughs) Right. Uh, But in my my keynote, I share a few stories, and it does. It involves kids and and fellow coaches who have been incredibly positive impacts on me. And I am, just like you guys are and just like your audience, we're all just a, a combination of the experiences and the people that we've come in contact with previously. And so they've made me a better person, a better dad, a better husband, a better coach. And I wanted to hopefully share some of those things that they had shared with me. 
So the speaking, I mean, I realize you're used to working with groups of kids, but was that a little intimidating at first, getting on a stage and talking to a big group of people like that? Yes, but, and there's always the but, right? <laughs> right. Uh, pretty big but. And here's, here's the but. I think the but is you're only intimidated. You're only, you know, somebody at the free throw line only feels pressure if they're not prepared. So my job mm -hmm. was to make sure that I prepared myself so you diminish the pressure by increasing your preparation. And the other part of that is I really believe, Stone, that if I'm focused on me, I'm going to be far more stressed and far more worried if I'm thinking about myself than if I'm thinking about my audience. Oh, that's I'm, an excellent point. If I'm there for the audience, I'm there to give them something that they're going to be able to take away and be better husbands and wives and co-workers and parents because of the information that I share. Because being a better teammate isn't just in terms of you know, your work life, being a better teammate is in every aspect of your life. And how do I impact others? And how do those ripples impact my kids and, and my family and my other social interactions? So now when you're writing books, it sounds like you've got this kind of system now, because you're pretty prolific, right? You've written several books. This would be my third in the parable format, right? Right. So um, can you share a little bit about how you go about the process of writing? you get the story first or you have the points and you're come up with the story second? That is a tremendous question, Lee. And, and, and again, all you can talk about is your own personal experience, right? right? Cause I know other people probably do a far better right. job. All, everybody has efficient. a different way of doing this. Uh, sure. And I got to talk a little bit later on with stone about the speed idea mm -hmm. and getting a whole lot better with my speed because, <laughs> uh, but the idea of, uh, of how I've gone about each one of them is I have that, um, kind of capsule of the ideas, that I'd like to share in the book. Right. So you and, come up with that first. The, and so it's that really that nonfiction content part. Right. So the then, 10 things or the 20 points you're trying to make. Absolutely. So you, then, do, you kind of flesh that out a little bit in your head. And once you get that clear to the point of this is what needs to be shared and this is kind of the order it needs to go in, then how do you wrap? You know, it's kind of the, the, the piece of ham around the pill for your dog. Right. You know, how do you, how do you wrap that pill of the content inside the ham of a story that's going to be entertaining enough and compelling enough that there is that plot structure and there is a little bit of a conflict and there is an issue that needs to be resolved. And there are characters that are hopefully uh, compelling enough that you want to care about what's happening right. to them. So what was your favorite chapter you think? Or My, talk about the one that you really didn't enjoy if you want to. I don't. <laughs> um, my favorite chapter is probably the one on staying coachable. And that's that's huh? part of the message that I really even now consider expanding into a story unto itself because I think that it's so powerful mm. in terms of, and, and, and I like the idea of staying coachable and that four-part process of, of just relentless personal improvement. The reason that I continue to read voraciously and I'm, I'm such a, um, a knowledge well, that's Secret. an interesting point because we have discovered this as a theme. We've been doing Business Writers Radio show for a little over a month now. It's a mm -hmm. relatively new media property for us, but writers are readers, aren't they? I mean, so you really, you're a voracious reader yourself. Well, I think that all leaders of any kind, you know, if, I, if I'm, it's a little bit of a prideful, egotistical thing to write a book, isn't it? And to say that right. yeah, I know yeah. more than this person does, or I know enough to make sure that I put it in print. We can make sure everybody trees. gets a copy, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> to get this message out, and, and a, I, I don't know that I want to write, or I don't know that I want to read a book by somebody who hadn't read a lot of books, yeah, because that's going to give you enough knowledge, not just of historically or, or societally, in, in terms of 
you know, an awareness of people and, and things that have occurred, but more importantly, in terms of being a, a strong enough writer to carry a story. And again, I think that's one of the things that's maybe different in a parable form than in a straight nonfiction where you can kind of talk out and make it more conversational in tone versus turning it into a story. Right. But the idea of, of, of staying coachable and being a voracious reader or being a learner is, uh, you know, I want to make sure I continue to grow myself so I can continue to grow others. And, uh, and that's kind of always been my passion is the more I know what is that avenue that I can actually take that information and take those, you know, learning nuggets and the, the potholes I've stepped in and help still steer others around those so they don't have to have the same learning curve and improve their speed. So I have to let you in on something. I very liberally share two books um, in, in my travels. One is mine. When I feel like it might be something that someone enjoy, I, I share that one. The other one I share is a book called The QBQ. And I see that the gentleman who authored that, who incidentally is an old friend of mine, uh, really? I've known him for some time. In fact, we worked together at, at one point. But I see that he endorsed your, your book. And I, I, so I'm operating under the impression, if nothing else, you've read his work, but maybe you've gotten to know John Miller a little bit. Very familiar with, with John, huge fan of QBQ. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the things that I've shared with past coaches in terms of staff and some of my players, certainly, to, to really drive home that, again, commandment number 10, you to take personal responsibility for results and ask the right questions. Uh, and I was thrilled when I had sent him a copy for review and uh, and he was very, very uh, gracious and 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 very complimentary about the book, and to have his testimonial on the back cover is, is something that is a nice little jewel in that crown. Yeah, he didn't endorse my book, <laughs> and I've known him longer than you have. <laughs> so now, um, did you decide to uh, get your book traditionally published, or did you self-publish? You know, I started my very first book, which is The Unexpected Leader. I published because that was a story that. I wanted my players to read, honestly, and it's a, a story about a player, kind of what are the, the five steps of becoming a leader regardless of your title? How can you lead a team without a title? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was written more for players because that's a message I thought they needed to hear. Uh, the second book, Racket Teamwork, and the five steps of how do you turn a group into a team and going from you know, goals to relationships to expectations to accountability to toast and transfer and what does it mean to be a great team in those aspects? And, and obviously the third one, the winning teammates. For each of them, uh, I followed the same format as the first one, which was the self-published. Uh, the self-published first one was largely because I was an unknown. And I could not find a publisher after sending out you know, a few dozen right. you know, requests. <laughs> um, but, but after that, one of the things you realize, and especially because I've had the opportunity to speak with a number of published authors who went through traditional publishing, is I enjoy now at this point having the control over the books that are printed and being able to have those you know, prepared and drop shipped. And, and honestly, the, the, the credibility I think that you get from a traditional publisher is certainly valuable. And the, the promotional... Support, push and right. support you get from a traditional publisher is significant. But for the, the work that I've done and the groups that I've worked with and the referrals and, and the, uh, the network of people who have been able to get the books and, and get access to and need knowledge of the books and then share that in a little bit smaller but maybe wider circles has really been a nice experience. And to see that continue to grow and this third one have a really nice book release now a month or two in to be pretty consistent in terms of sales. It has been a nice experience for me to recognize you don't have to go that traditional route. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, and I know that, you know, for those authors out there, uh, certainly the amount of profit book by book is a little bit more in self-publishing sure. than it would be for traditional. Now, did you, have you become kind of a ninja on self-publishing? Do you do a lot of the work yourself or do you um, outsource some of it? On the last two, I've, again, the first time mm-hmm. you, you learn and you step in all of the potholes. Uh, the second and third time, I've hopefully gotten a little bit better and wiser as you go. And, and for this third one, yeah, most of it, you have a, a pretty good sense of what needs to happen when. So you, you pattern out uh, from the review copies all the way back to, you know, so I've got a calendar that's six months out of what I need to do when because you've had that experience before. Uh, and really, the only thing that I had to do to outsource was a lot of the book design um, the, obviously the cover image and uh, and then getting some of the uh, online publication stuff taken care of. Uh-huh. What about the editing? Did you rely on an outside outside eyes to help you with the editing or did you do that yourself? Most of it myself. Then you get three or four other people that you really trust the eyes of and, and haven't had, you know, a number of friends in education. And, right, and that are my wife has been a English tremendous. Majors, right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that said, my wife probably has found more of my mistakes than anybody, which is, her job as a wife, right? <laughs> well, sometimes I think you can write it, and then when you go back and read your own work, it, it says what you meant it to say, whether it really does or not. So you do need to get some other eyes Absolutely. on there, right? Absolutely, need those fresh eyes. <laughs> so did you find, and are you finding, that having the credibility of a book and having this, this work committed to paper, is it helping you uh, get more work, command higher fees? Is there some direct business advantage in having a book that you've begun to experience? I think without a doubt, having a book does add some credibility and makes you a little bit more marketable as a speaker because you do have that message that can be carried away from the conference. Uh, and so to make that something that each attendee receives a copy of Sean's book has been really positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because I, I think that it does become part of your brand. And, and, and that's where with the first book that I wrote, it was more something I wanted this group to read. I wanted to be available for those kids right. because I, I knew that there, there was little out there that I thought was necessary. Uh, with the rapid teamwork and the Ten Commandments of Winning Teammates, they were a little bit more crafted toward the audience that I knew I was seeking to serve. Uh, whether it was team leaders with rapid teamwork or teammates with the winning teammates, I wanted to make sure they had something that, again, made their lives better and helped them to have a better experience every single day. So how does the sales and marketing thing work for a speaker consultant? Because it strikes me as a very competitive arena. When I got started probably a dozen years ago, Stone, uh, I had a whole lot more time than I did money. (laughs) And so I became pretty adept with Google SEO stuff. So with even my very first do-it-yourself really horrible website, uh, I was able to put together enough back-end SEO keyword stuff that I ranked relatively high for some So people the, were finding you. So people began oh, wow. to find me, which was, again, nice. And I've been very yeah. fortunate in that with a much nicer professionally done website that I continue to get pretty strong SEO for, for terms like uh, team building for teachers or you know team building speaker and, and some of those keywords that you want to make sure that you're found for. Uh, and that and referrals have, have really kept me relatively busy. I know there are a number of avenues of sales and marketing that have not yet gone down. Uh, but again, to this point, and I'll knock on wood, hit myself on the forehead, <laughs> uh, I've not had to do a great deal of sales and marketing because from the beginning, I've gotten enough uh, business that I've stayed relatively busy. 
So you just touched on something I want to talk about for, for a moment, if we might. You use the uh, phrase, or maybe it's a title, maybe it's already a book, Team Building for Teachers. Mm-hmm. But that suggests to me that if you, if you land on something really solid, you can have team building for parents, team building. You can have the Ten Commandments for coaches. You can have the Ten Commandments for whatever. Is that a strategy you are pursuing or might pursue? Absolutely, yes. And, and if I could share anything with, with businesses and authors that, that may be most helpful for them is, hey, hey, buy the book. But, but <laughs> that's but, our first recommendation. But secondly, and, and, and maybe even more specific, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I questioned when I first got involved with NSA, National Speakers Association, mm-hmm. one of the things that I questioned going to the national convention was you need to dig deeper. And I was thinking, you know, you want to cast a nice wide net. The wider the net, the more the audience, the more the audience, the more the, you know, uh, clients, et cetera. And what I've found is that the wisdom they tried to share with me when I was a little bit younger and uh, less experienced and a whole lot more ignorant is absolutely true, that there are definite riches inside of niches. And the more that I can dig down, whether it's team building for teachers instead of just team building, team building for business or corporate team building, you could imagine is a huge industry. I'll bet. Uh, But the more specific you can get in those keyword searches for whatever your business might be, for whatever your title might be, absolutely, you're going to get those hits. And you can do the Google AdWords and find, you know, what those terms are that are getting some of the, uh, some of the traffic, but find something that's going to be relevant to you and your business and what is it that you want to be known as? And if I want to be a teamwork speaker, if I want to be a team building speaker, then those are the terms that I wanted to be found for. So that's the SEO work that I did on my pages. Now, how important has the National Speakers Association been for you? You mentioned the transition from teacher to speaker. And there is obviously a huge difference in those two. And my transition was really from teacher to facilitator, which is very similar in terms of asking questions and drawing out ideas following an activity. But then going from facilitator to a speaker, they're two very different skill sets. Uh, And one involves asking questions. The other involves doing a far better job of entertaining and keeping people engaged with stories and activities and insights that are going to obviously be under that cohesive umbrella topic of whatever you're choosing. For me, obviously, the becoming a better teammate. And so when I began that journey, first thing I did was I got involved with Toastmasters. I wanted to make sure I crafted some stories and got better in terms of delivery. And then when you get to, uh, to a certain point there and you hear, yeah, it's good. Well, I don't want to be good. I want to be much better than good. And so where do you find out where that gap is? Well, you got to go to people who are a whole lot better than you. And that's when I reached out to NSA Georgia. And I have been thrilled and impressed and so very excited to have made some of the connections and built some relationships with just some absolutely fabulous and generous people at NSA Georgia uh, who really helped me to grow my speaking business, not necessarily my message, uh, but the business side of understanding from contracts to crafting a better story uh, to incorporating different activity to, you know, all of the the peripheral stuff that you don't see on stage that gets you onto the stage. Mm-hmm. You were kind enough early in the conversation to mention a little bit about my work in helping folks with personal and organizational speed. One thing that I did uncover when I was really diving deep into that work was that trust is a tremendous accelerator. What I never really cracked the code on and feel very ill-equipped to counsel people and organizations on 
is how to create that trust among a team. So I would be very interested in any insight you might have to offer on, on that topic. I can share what I believe to be the case stone. And, and, and this is something that, again, for teams, and, and one of the reasons that I feel very comfortable talking to corporate audiences is that whether it's in a locker room or in a boardroom, people are still people. And those interactions are still really important and really impactful, regardless of circumstance or industry. And I really believe that trust, and this is something I've shared you know, on, on my blog or my website and certainly as part of some of my messages, is I believe trust is a three-legged stool. And there's three things that, that you can do to build trust. And, and to your point, one of the things that I think is, is really useful for people to understand is that trust doesn't take years to establish. I think trust can be established in a far more effective and efficient manner than sometimes we assume. Those three legs are first are you competent? Are you good at your job? Can you do what you say that you're supposed to do? And most people, competence is the easy leg to stand on. They can build their competence, whether it's as a salesman, whether it's as a teacher, whether it's as a basketball player, whatever that area is of competence, they can prepare and do the work and do the research. The second leg of that stool would be concern for others. And Everyone in your audience has probably at some point sat across a table from a used car salesman. <laughs> the question is never, is he competent at his job, right? You know, if, right. it's you because he's competent <laughs> that I don't trust him. But it's when I know that he or she cares as much about my success as I do that I begin to trust them more. Right. And I think that that second leg is really the one that oftentimes is shorter for us or cracked for us because we don't show or acknowledge or, or illustrate to the other in the relationship that we have a concern for them, that we've become aware of and considered their side of the equation. And, and so the first leg obviously is competence. The second leg is going to be my concern for others. Can I show you, have I, have I illustrated to you through my questions and through my behaviors that I care about you getting that win as much as me getting a win? And I think the third thing is those kept commitments. And do I keep the promises that I make, whether that's a large promise, which most people take care of? I think more often than not, where, where we see that um, fractured somewhat is just in the small daily things where people begin to question our commitments because we're five minutes late to a meeting or because we don't get that paperwork in exactly on time. Instead of, again, being concerned for them and understanding as a small part of something larger than myself, there is an accountability that I have in order to make sure that I keep those commitments so my teammates can be successful also. So it's three legs of the stool. I think that you can, you can establish that in probably under 20 minutes if you do a nice enough job of being intentional about showing that you're competent, showing your concern for others, and keeping the commitments that you say that you've already made. Now, can you share a piece of advice for a new, write, a new author something you learned that can maybe make their path a little smoother? One guy we asked that question said, don't. <laughs> but everybody else has had some real pearls, so <laughs> you got a high bar to clear. Don't know if I have much of a pearl, but I think that if you made the determination, made the decision to sit down and write, it's because you've got a message inside you that you know is worthwhile to share. And I would absolutely encourage anyone that feels that to get the message down. Uh, because there's somebody that needs to hear that. There's somebody that your message can help somewhere in the world and make their life a little bit easier, help them to understand or come to terms with something a little bit more quickly. 
uh, and just give them the sense that somebody else has walked that same path and knows where they're going or knows what they're going through presently. I think there's a huge uh, number of works written every year, obviously, but I think that there is absolutely an audience if you can find them through delving into those niches. That said, uh, if I were to offer just one nugget of encouragement, I think the most important thing for me has really been organization. I've always had ideas, but getting that idea on the paper, clarifying the idea and the organization of the idea well enough that I can turn that into a story or turn that into uh, something that is going to be uh, easily digested by a reader is really the important thing. And if you're thinking about it from their perspective, what's going to be most important to that reader, just like you on the stage, what's most important to the audience at that time? How is this going to be something they're going to remember that's going to impact them? I think that's hopefully the question that you're asking as you sit down to a laptop. All right. Where can our listeners go to learn more about your work and where can they get their hands on these three books and and the books that I'm sure to come? Well, I appreciate the question. Uh, You can find me online at greatresultsteambuilding.com, Stone. Uh, Great Results Team Building, obviously the team building website. I also have the the keynotes page there as well. Uh, As far as the books, if you were to go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, they're available through pretty much any of those uh, avenues. And again, it's 10 Commandments of Winning Teammates. Also have the rapid teamwork, uh, but really appreciate the opportunity to be here and share today. Had a great time. Well, it has been an absolute delight having you in the studio, man. We'll have to have you back sometime. Would love that. Lee, thanks so much. All right. Until next time, this is Stone Payton for Lee Cantor, our fearless producer, Ryan Redhawk McPherson, our guest today, Sean Glaze, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Business Writers Radio. Business Writers Radio is brought to you by Business Writers Exchange. To learn more about developing a successful book and building your business around it, visit business-writers-exchange.com.